As the son of a son of a sailor, I went out on the sea for adventure. Expanding the view of the captain and crew like a man just released from indenture. As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man, I have chalked up many a mile. Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks, and I learned much from both of their styles. Son of a son, son of a son, son of a son of a sailor, son of a god, though the last time. One step ahead of the jailer. Now way in the near future, southeast of disorder. You can shake the hand of the mangled man as he greets you at the border. And the lady she hails from Trinidad, island of the spices, salt for your meat. And cinnamon sweet, and the rum is for all your good vices. Haul the sheet in as we ride on the wind that our forefathers harnessed before us. Hear the bells ring as the tide rigging sings. It's the son of a god of a chorus. If I knew, I might toss up my anchor. So I cruise along, always searching for songs. Not a lawyer, a thief, or a banker. But son of a son, son of a son, son of a son of a sailor, son of a god. Oh, the last time, one step ahead of the jailer. I'm just a son of a son. Son of a son, son of a son of a sailor. The seas in my veins, my tradition remains. I'm just glad I don't live in a trailer. This is Robert Schuler with Melissa's Produce, and you're listening in on Cord Vines and Dye. Hi, good afternoon. This is Kat, and I'm here with Tom. And this is Cord's Vines and Dines, and we lost Jimmy Buffett on Friday. Yes, I'm still in shock. I'm still heartbroken. He was always one of my very, very favorites. Uh, I've seen him more than any other of the artists. Oh, that's great. I, I think I've seen him three times. And I was fortunate enough, it was just a brief second, but I met him on the island of St. Bart's. He had a, a bar there called Le Select, where mm. he played in just a very intimate setting. I'm jealous. <laughs> My friend Tom Sawyer, who you've met, uh, introduced me to, to Jimmy. And so, I mean, I'll, of course, never, ever forget that. 
No, I tried to, a uh, long time ago, he had a, a contest where you could win a cruise to go, to go on a cruise with A lovely him. cruise? A lovely cruise. <laughs> I put in like 50 or 100 entries. Sure. I did. Yeah. I've seen him 13, 14 times. Wow. So. I saw last time I saw him was at uh, Jazz Fest in New Orleans, and just an amazing performance. And he oh. brought on uh, Alan Toussaint. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, he he wrote I think Working on a Chain Gang and uh. and a bunch of just real wonderful R and B songs. Uh, Mac McAnally was with him. Mac is also a wonderful musician. And I've been list- I, I I'm a Sirius XM subscriber, and I've been listening to Radio Margaritaville. And as I was driving in, they were playing a concert that he did this year in February in Key West. And he just was telling stories and talking about how each song was written and uh, what, a, what a genius he was. His concerts were never like a, going to see somebody perform. He included the audience. Yes, he did. And it was like one huge party starting with the parking lot. Absolutely. Finn's. The tailgate party. And uh, we actually did that one time. We brought a little little camping stove, and we did our white sports coat and pink crustacean. Did you have cheeseburgers in paradise? Yeah, we, uh, we had crab legs and uh, <laughs> Corona beers out there. Uh, I took my son for his first concert there when he was about four or five years old. And I never thought much about the parking lot parties other than uh you know doing them ourselves i just got used to them but take taking my son there who'd never seen him and wondering what was going through his mind because his little head was turning from side to side looking at all the rvs with volcanoes on it and smoke coming out and people with grass skirts <laughs> and coconut bras and it was great it was it, a, uh, always his, wonderful his passing affected your son eric too he was oh he, yeah he had such memories of going to see him with you that and he was said uh he was really hoping to go again see him, yeah. see him again with me and my daughter was too young to take when i took my son and she always wanted to go yeah. and so she was very upset too saying that she was really hoping that three of us could go you always got your money's worth when you went to a jimmy buffett concert. oh my gosh Yes, I have I have my T-shirts too. I always bought a T-shirt. I still have my T-shirts. So so anyway, um, you want to do a little Jimmy Buffett quiz? Why not? You know, there's top eight songs that he always had to play. Um, you quizzed me on this before the show, and I think I did pretty darn well. Okay. They were called the Big Eight Songs. Uh, they were released prior to 1980, and all were included on the compilation album Songs You Know by Heart, which right. I do have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was his best-selling album. Of course. Uh, you want to you go ahead and take another stab? Do you remember uh, them all? Well, let's see. Uh, there's be Cheeseburger in Paradise, Margaritaville, Finns, Volcano, Say uh, uh, a pirate looks at forty. Um, son of a son of a sailor. Um, that came later. Okay. Agreed. Margaritaville. Come Monday. Yep. Fins. Volcano. Pirate looks at forty. Cheeseburger in paradise. Why don't we get drunk? And changes in latitudes. <laughs> changes, changes in, in attitudes. attitudes. And then um, uh, let's see it. Five o'clock somewhere came out later. Right. So did Son of a Son of a Sailor. And then somewhere in the early uh, 2000s, after, oh, those came somewhere early in the 2000s. After 2004, we had Why Don't You Get Drunk was removed from the full-time list. 
although it was still played on some tours. He played it on the show I was just listening to this past February. And then he added on Brown Eye Girl. Yes. And Crosby Stills at Nash Southern Cross. Southern Cross, Cross yeah. And so those, oh, and, and during the course of the years 2010 to 2016, in 262 advertised appearances, do you know how many times Jimmy Buffett performed Margaritaville? 262. 248 <laughs> times. <laughs> I can't imagine him not playing that at a show. Um, yeah, it was, uh, he's going to be sorely missed. Very much so, yeah. And they're... There goes my bucket list. He was on my bucket list well, to me. You got to see him twelve or thirteen times. Yeah, so I got got that, and I've got my shirts, and I've got great memories. Yep, the memories are the most important. That's true. So we've got a great lineup. Wow, today. what a show! We have two doctors. Two doctors. We have Dr. Robbie Motter, who is the uh, founder and president of the Global Society for Female Entrepreneurs, GSFE. Uh, that, you know, it's a nonprofit organization. Yep. She started to uh, started that in 2017. And it is global now. It's yeah, to empower women entrepreneurs around the world. And as she said, they're members in over 50 countries now. Uh, organization offers a variety of programs and services, including educational workshops, webinars, mentorship, goes on and on. You can see all that on on the website, Global Society for Female Entrepreneurs, and Robbie will tell you all about it. We also have Dr. William R. Forstchin, and uh, we called him Bill because he asked us to. Boy, uh, amazing guy. He uh, is in South Carolina. Is that what he said? Anyway, he's written nearly... North Carolina. North Carolina. He's written nearly 50 books and his latest is in the John Matherson series, uh, which started with One Second After. And uh, his premise here is what happens if there's an EMP, electromagnetic pulse strike, that would knock out the power grid across the United States and could impact that for not only months but possibly years. No electricity, which would impact us water, because it's just... It's a frightening thought, but it's a real possibility. It is a possibility. And uh, so we we have a visit with him, and then uh, we spoke with Paul Durham. Yes, musician, singer, songwriter Paul Durham. He was great. Yeah, love his music, don't you? Yeah, and we had some Rocky Pond wine to enjoy while we uh, chatted with him. He was, and he's going to do a concert there September twenty second. So wonderful. Well, shall we get on to our interview with? Miss Dr. Robbie Motter. Ms. I was going to say Ms. <laughs> Robbie Motter, but Dr. Robbie Motter. So, Tom, I am so pleased to have my dear friend Robbie Motter on the phone with us right now for our Court Vines and Dines. It is a thrill. We're delighted to have you, Robbie. And I'm so honored to be on the call with both of you because you're two of my most favorite people. Aww. and. I remember years ago, I was honored to do this show. Yes, I remember that. It was wonderful to have you then and even more wonderful to have you now. You've done so much uh, since I first met you. You're an author. You're a TV host. You're a certified national speaker. You're a PR and marketing consultant. And I love your motto. It's all about showing up. <laughs> Indeed. Uh 
I have another model too. We don't compete. We complete each other. Oh, I like oh, that. Oh, good. I like that one. It, yeah, it's all about, as you know, it's all about building relationships. Definitely. You have built quite a few relationships, starting with the National Association of Female Entrepreneurs. And then you've got now you've got the Global Society for Female Entrepreneurs. That's true. What happened when uh, NAFI, I was with NAFI 39 years as their global uh, volunteer global coordinator overseeing all their networks all over the U.S. But uh, somehow when, uh, and then in 2017, I formed the nonprofit because whenever we would do some NAFI events in California, since they were a profit organization, we couldn't get any in-kind donations or things like that. So I went ahead and set it up. But when COVID came, they decided to go a whole new direction. They changed their name. They're not doing networks anymore. So I was really grateful that I had started the nonprofit because we, you know, I was very much into all of our members. And actually, you know, COVID was a terrible thing, but actually it was a good thing for us because part of that, our, our GSF and NAFI networks were all live. But when we converted and went to GSFV, we had we learned that if we went on Zoom, which many of us didn't even know what the name of what Zoom was, we could be global, and we are global. We have London, we have networks in London, Canada. I'm going to be in um, Manila in October, and we're going to be building a NAFI network there. I mean, a wow. GSFV network there. Wow. And we have 24 GSF networks all over the country right now. So we're, we are global and uh, it is just amazing, the people I've met. And Robbie, you know what's really amazing is you are 87 years young and you just That's right. keep on going. I just don't. Well, next year is going to be my March. I'm born on International Women's Day, which is March 8th. And next year I'll be 88. So listen, look at all the eights in there. <laughs> that, that's got to be lucky. How yeah, did you, it is. How did you get started way back when you first got into the workforce? Were you into uh, PR and marketing then? What What's your background? Oh, no, you I, worked in, I worked in corporate America for over 25 years and it wasn't until my mother got sick a mother that i never lived with i grew up in in foster homes but when my mother got sick i quit my job in in maryland in virginia packed up and came to california and took care of it until she passed but i was always doing the nappy and helping women all those years so but what, what really got me started on helping women was, I think it was either the 50s or early 60s. I was working in Omaha, Nebraska at an officer's club. And I asked this woman to teach me something. And she looked at me and said, I will never teach you or any woman. And I thought, oh, wow, that is awful. So I made a pact that whatever I learned, I would spend the rest of my life sharing it. Well, I see here. And that's what I've been doing. In fact, in the last year and a half, through to the work we do at GSFB, we've helped 182 women write a book. Incredible. Or either be in a book or write a book. And most of them told me they couldn't write. And I see some of them now. From the first volume we did of it's all about showing up. 
are on uh, their second and third books. Because wow. everybody's got a book in them, and they just need to do it. Share their story. It could change a life. I know you've changed a lot of women's lives out there, and I've met some of them. In fact, we do have a few scheduled to be uh, interviewed for our radio shows. So. We had Marlena Martin on. She was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, Marlena's great. She runs the... In fact, I never learned about her until one year day she called me up. I think it was five or six years ago, and she said, uh, you've been nominated to be the California Woman of the Year, and we'd like you to come on the Queen Mary, and you would like you to be a speaker. And so that's how I met her, and then I was so... I just love the organization and how she helps women, because it isn't really a beauty pageant. It's about what they're doing and what they're giving back. So I'm there every year as a judge, and every year I've been able to speak, so I just love it. And this year we're back on the Queen Mary again. It's the Women of Achievement. Uh-huh. The Women That's of correct. Achievement. And a lot of my members have been um, have entered and have been queens, and some of them have given up their titles to someone else, and this year I have three that are giving up their titles. It's, you know, their term is over. They'll be passing the torch to someone else. That's fabulous. That's, Tom's never been to the Queen Mary, and when we talked with Marlita, I said, we're going to put that on Tom's you should list. Call. <laughs> Absolutely. You, call, you could interview a lot of the women. The women are really amazing. And they're all ages and all sizes. That's what I love about it. That's wonderful. One year, I remember several years ago, <clears throat> the gal that won one of the big awards she was uh, probably 250 pounds, but she had the most biggest personality of anyone I ever met. Wow. And they're all different categories for these women in achievement, too. Absolutely. And they have to do, I, love, I usually get to judge their, their programs, you know, what they're doing in the community. Right. And some of them are doing such amazing things. Um, you were recently given the title of a doctor. Mm-hmm. That must have been really thrilling. Well, and it was interesting. You know, you never know who you're going to meet when you show up. And I've been teaching my members to be more observant when they're doing Facebook and LinkedIn. Because instead of just clicking like, if somebody's saying something that appeals to you, answer them, build the relationship with them. So three years ago, I think it was three, yeah, three years ago, there was a gal that came on, was posting on Facebook, Ada Gardeman. She's from London. And she had a, a, a she has a dozen awards every year called She Inspires Me. And I thought, wow, I have a lot of members that could get that award. So I connected with her. And she invited me to go to London and stay with her. And while I was in London, she introduced me to Dr. Caroline Makaka, who is the CEO and founder of Loney, Ladies of All Nations. And she's in 185 countries. And she introduced me to Dr. Peterson from Atlanta, who does the annual humanitarian doctorate um, degrees. So that that year they wanted me to do it, and I said, no, I don't think I'm deserving. But the following year, 
I did it in Atlanta. Then I found out that I would be able to nominate some of my members. So I took last December, I took 27 girls to London and they got their honorary degree. And then recently, uh, I think it was April, we went to Atlanta and 37. And next year, I'm going to be doing it in California and in Maryland. But next year, we're opening it up to men and women. They don't have to be GSFB members. And we're going to do the one in California is uh, April 20th. It will be in Menifee. And the one from Maryland will bring in my Philadelphia, New York, and Maryland group, as well as people that they know that are members and we'll be doing that in maryland close to baltimore i don't i don't have the location yet we're working on it you are one busy woman well you know people do service and they don't they do it from their heart so it's wonderful to honor them for the humanitarian work they've done all their lives and yeah the other thing is while i was in london this december dr mccocka gave uh presented me with a lady title. So I have a lady. So I'm a lady and then another woman I met who's the World Peace Ambassador for the United Nations in New York appointed me the California Peace Ambassador. So I've got a lot lot of titles. And then Dr. Peterson made me a chaplain so that I could do the events here in California and Maryland. So, you know, but it's not about me. It's about what I can do for my members. That's wonderful, Robbie. I really, you, you truly are an inspiration to me uh, and so many other women and men, too. Uh, you, you inspire me. <laughs> well, I remember my, my people still talk about the wonderful time you took us to the winery thing. Wasn't that uh, fun? When we, it was fun. We, we need to do that again. My son plays in some wineries down in, in Fallbrook, a Sunshine Mountain Vineyards. It's really a wonderful place. Um, I love it because I feel like you're sitting in someone's backyard. Probably. He actually is a senior VP by day, but plays music, for, you know, to kind of relax. So he plays a lot, but he doesn't want to come. He could be in Temecula, but he doesn't want to come to Temecula. He says it's too far to drive because he lives <laughs> in North County. I've been the following traffic, him. You know, I've been following oh, him topic. on Facebook, so yeah, I've been. Yeah, thinking. he does good. He does good. In fact, I just took a guest. My Dr. Caroline McCucka was here from Thursday to yesterday, and we had events where a lot of the girls got to meet her because she is. Uh, I'll tell you, there's. I've never met a woman that cares so much about the world and peace and love, and she's in, as I said, 185 countries. Wow, and um. We had a couple of, we had an event in Menifee, and yesterday I took her to um, the Ivy in Beverly Hills, and then I took her to the airport. She's in Washington now, and my Maryland and Philadelphia directors are anxious to meet her, so they're going to connect with her. Oh, that's great. Robbie, I I appreciate so much uh, you taking the time to be on Chords, Vines, and Dines. Is there any... Word, last word you'd like to send out to all of our listeners? Well, I think that people need to know the power of showing up. Showing up is like a treasure map. You never know what treasure you're going to find. And I guarantee you that every time you show up, you will meet somebody you're supposed to meet or you'll learn something you're supposed to learn. And the other thing is you've got to learn to ask for what you want. 
people are not mind readers. And ASK is a very powerful word, and I've seen magic happen when people ask, so who do you know that could do this? Or do you know anyone about that does this sort of work? And I've seen it happen. I mean, I could write five books on just the stuff that have happened with my networks because they've learned to show up and ask. If you don't ASK, you don't G-E-T. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely right. So people can find you on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, which I guess is now X, and you have RobbieMotter.com. Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Networking Queen, but on the other ones, I'm Robbie Motter. <laughs> Wonderful. That. Thank you so much for, for showing up, Robbie. Oh, I love showing up, and, and I love seeing you guys, so let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, Robbie. What an amazing woman. She's incredible, and there's just no stopping her. No. And she's 80. 87, I think she's going to yeah. be 88. Yeah, that's right. She's going to be 88, and she sees uh, exciting things ahead for her, her 88th year. On next Sunday's show, we're going to have Nicole Farrell, one of our GSFE sisters. Uh, she will be... Uh, She's got a lot of gigs coming up for her, doing a lot of... She does karaoke, and she does a lot of singing. We love Nicole. But she's going to be playing next Thursday, September 7th, at Melody's Cuisine Restaurant. In Menifee. 26846 Cherry Hills Boulevard, from 5 to 8. And she's going to be singing some French songs, and she says there's going to be lots of dancing. How fun. So, yeah, maybe we can make it out to see her. I've seen her before, and she's great. And that's Nicole Farrell. Our next guest is Dr. William R. Forstchen. And uh, Bill has just written all sorts of uh, books. He's also he's a history uh, buff. He has published numerous popular novels and nonfiction works about military and alternative history. He's also uh, co-written a couple of books with, uh, do you remember Newt Gingrich? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he and Newt wrote a couple of books together. And uh, he's also written three novels about General George Washington during the American Revolutionary War. He's a fascinating man. So let's uh, go on to our visit with Bill Forstchen. I can't tell you how honored we are to have Dr. William Forstchen as our guest today. Bill, what a pleasure. Good afternoon. Oh, it's a great afternoon here, other than all the rain. <laughs> Where are you? Uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, that's a place I'd love to visit someday. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's God's country up here. So you have just published a book, and it's in the uh, it's in the um, series of One Second After, and uh, it's called Five Years After. Uh, tell us a little bit about EMP and what you think uh, some of the possibilities are down the road. Okay, my... Uh, one series after books, of which there are four, is about the of an EMP strike hitting America. EMP, electromagnetic pulse, generated by detonating a nuclear weapon above the Earth's atmosphere, 200 miles above, sets up an electrostatic discharge known as the Compton Effect, hits the Earth's surface, shorts out our power grid, shorts it out nationwide for months, more likely even years. It's, it's a catastrophic scenario. What do you think the likelihood is of that happening? 
Has there ever been a weapon system man's created that at some point has not been used? This also, not just with EMP, but we have such an antiquated electrical system, 40 to 50 years old, very vulnerable to cyber attacks and even to physical attacks, such as what we've seen in recent months with the shooting of power stations uh, around the country. So this is a real threat that, according to several congressional studies, 80 to 90 percent of our population would die in the year after that. Wow. Yes, that's sobering. That's, that's just well. Um, well, where where are you guys located? We're in Southern California. Oh well, you know, you just went through the storm, but. If the electrical grid went down, where does your water come from? <laughs> a lot of it is from the Colorado River. Which requires electrical pumping. You bet. So you lose your, you lose your water, your food supply. Average town has 20 days worth of food on hand. They run out, you lose your medication, you lose emergency services, you lose everything. So your book series focuses on what would happen, uh, what's likely to happen after such an attack, and uh, my goodness, it, it, it's very frightening. It's a, it's a terrifying scenario that we have to take far more seriously, and we're not. We're spending a trillion dollars on electrical infrastructure for green energy, but we're not spending the money on the nuts and bolts of improving the system we already have. What are some of the things that individuals and families can do to prepare for an EMP attack? Well, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, were, were you hit at all by the hurricane last week? We got a lot of rain and wind, but no, uh, right exactly where we are, no, we weren't a couple inches of rain. That was it. We never lost power. Yeah, but did you see the lines in the grocery stores and everywhere else? People stocking up at the very last minute. The the average home. Everybody should have a month's worth of emergency supplies on hand the day before an event, not one second after the event. <laughs> I mean, you know, emergency supplies, very basic things that people do not think about. Now, we have, like, earthquake preparedness kits. I mean, not everybody, but in my house we do. That does have emergency supplies. Do you think something like that, or do you, do you think people should have more than that, or twice as much, or? Yeah, it's uh, you know up here in the mountains of North Carolina, we don't have all that much to worry about, but a hurricane does hit us occasionally. Uh, people don't think ahead often enough, and that's one of my messages: prepare beforehand, not afterwards, and also. We had to do a massive effort in the future to bring our electrical grid up to a 2025 standard. Right now, we're pumping our electricity to system dates from the 1970s, early 1980s. I was doing uh, just grocery shopping the day before the uh, Hurricane Hillary hit here, and I could see there were a lot of people in panic mode. They were they had their carts filled with water and and uh, essentials. But yeah, you can't do that the day before. You got to be prepared at all times. Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, every time there's a disaster, you know, a storm, whatever, you always see the same thing: bread and milk, bread and milk. Well. They're not really essential compared to just food, having emergency medical supplies on hand. Uh, 
Many of us require prescription medications. Why do we wait until there's only one pill left? Exactly. Things like that, thinking, thinking before rather than afterwards. So, Bill, you're a, a historian as well as an author, and what lessons can we learn from past disasters, such as the Black Death or Dust Bowl, how to prepare for and respond to an EMP attack? Black Death, better get to a church. Um, mankind has a tendency to think after rather than before. The, the problem with our grid now is, what do you think 90% of our electrical components are manufactured. <laughs> I hate to say China, am I, am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, well. the, analogy, the analogy I give in the event of a CM, uh, EMP is this. Uh, it would be like December 7th, 1941. The president's meeting with his staff. What are we going to do? And somebody points out, Mr. President, we not a problem. All our aircraft carriers are made in Japan. All our planes are made in Germany. We have to return manufacturing of the electrical grid back to its home base, the United States of America. We're not doing that. How do you foresee that taking place? That sounds like a massive undertaking. It requires a political rethink, which we're not doing right now. Now, you know, I'm in favor of certain aspects of green energy. We all are. Well, at least as far as solar panels go. Windmills, I'm dubious. But the traditional systems, you know, out in California, I saw where they're shutting down a series of dams so the salmon can get up the river, but they're cutting generating systems offline. We're actually reducing our electrical outgrid. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yes. So I, I, I see that. I see uh, restructuring of our politics a little bit. we got to get out of the gotcha politics that have been deviling us for 10 years, get some things going that the majority of people can support. And political structure, and yes, improving our military for a more modern fighting structure. You know, there's something like a shortage of 15 or 20,000 people in the military to be working on cybersecurity and cyber issues. Uh, our electrical grid, we're not doing it. How, how do you propose getting a politician to, to get something going on this? How do you, what do you think can be done? <laughs> I know, it's kind of like far-fetched, yeah. Uh, first thing we do is, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, you know, ma'am, you got me on that. <laughs> we, we have to, there's a line from Abraham Lincoln a long time ago in which he said, fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we will save our country. We have to disenthrall ourselves with some of the politics of the past. We're not doing it now. Well said, Bill. I can't thank you enough for your time, and uh, I can't recommend strongly enough your, your new book uh, to our readers. And uh, Has that been published, or is it just about to come out? Yeah, it came out last Thursday, and it's selling like crazy. So it's going to be a very interesting fall for me. Five Years After by William R. Forsten. Of course, you can get it on Amazon or your favorite bookseller. Bill, thank you so much for your time. Wow. 
What an amazing guy, isn't he, Kat? He Dr. Is. William R. Forstchen. The new book is uh, five years after, or five years later, I think. It's five years, uh, let me go back to my notes. It's five years after I was right the first time. Um, really makes you think. Yeah, and uh, already a bestseller. He said it's just flown off the shelves just in its first couple of weeks. Yeah, that's great. And I, I highly why. recommend it. Yeah, he's a very good writer and really riveting. Yeah, his work has been praised for its historical accuracy and its suspenseful plots. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, I'll finish it and hand it off to you. I am almost done with On the Rocks, the prima donna story, and oh, you're going to love it. Good. You know what time it is? It is time for our food quiz. I'm going to start you off with people and pop culture. Oh. Your question is, who was the bratty child that was transformed into a giant blueberry in the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate oh. Factory and its 2005 remake Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Was it A, Veruca Salt, B, Violet Beauregard, C, Mike TV, or D, Augustus Gloop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't see either one of those. I read the book. I love the book. I have, haven't have a clue. You want to take a stab at it? Let's go with uh, C. It was B, Violet Beauregard. Oh, of course, Violet. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> really fun, really fun book. And I guess I was... Uh, pretty young when those books came out and I read them when they were new I didn't see the movie and I didn't read the book well there you go alright what you got for me regional dishes Okay. in Venezuela pa patacones are beloved sandwiches made without bread what do they use instead A. griddled corn cakes B. fresh banana leaves C. deep fried tortillas or D. smashed fried plant plantains going to go with my gut and say A. Griddled corn cakes and smashed fried plantains. That sounds See? really good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> have you had fried plantains? Yes, oh, I have. I've I, made them, actually. I like them. they're good. Yep. Cooking tools and techniques for you, and what is the name of the complex series of chemical reactions that produces browning when you sear food using hot, dry heat? Is it A, caramelization, B, desiccation, C, Maillard reaction, or D, Pyard synthesis? I give you the easy ones. The, you know, a. Uh, what is D, Pyard synthesis. Oh, of course. I should have known that. Doesn't <laughs> well, I, everybody I know? That? Gosh, where I, was my head? <laughs> <laughs> okay, ingredients. Okay. Along with... Com kombu, K O M B U. Okay. And naturally, you, <laughs> you, you. <laughs> Easy for you to say. U M A M I. You, umami, umami, umami. Dried kelp. What other ingredient makes up the Japanese cooking broth known as dashi? D A S H I. Okay. A. Soy sauce. B. Pork bones. C. Mirin, which is sweet rice wine. Or D, bonito, dried tuna. Whew. Bonito. You are correct. Yay. Did you guess? 
Yes. <laughs> of course. Very good. All right. Paul Durham, um, what a fascinating guy. And he was part of a group called Black Lab that was on um, Geffen Records, and he was label mates with the, the Nirvana, Counting Crows, Sonic Youth. Um, they really made quite a splash. And now he's uh, on his own. And uh, he's going to be, he has released his first album in seven years. And uh, we're going to share some of that music with you. And uh, he's really very good and uh, did a lot of work in TV. And uh, I found the, he'll talk about doing the uh, season six trailer for The Shield. And I actually found it on YouTube yeah, and you shared can, it with you. Yeah, you said that to me. That and was it's great. very obvious once you know him uh, that it's him. You can, uh, yeah, you didn't even have to tell me who it was when I, when you sent it to me. I recognized his voice. So we're going to play, do back-to-back songs of his, correct? Correct. We'll do, we'll do them both. So here is our visit with Paul Durham. Oh, good afternoon, and we're, uh, we're so lucky to have Paul Durham with us today, Kat. I know, I've been reading his bio and listening to his music. I'm excited to be talking with him. Hi, Paul. Hi guys! Thank you for being on our show. You're, oh, you've got such an incredible background here. I don't even know where to start. Uh, just well, listening to a couple of your songs, um, and then we're going to be playing your your music on our show here. But Great. you're on the West Coast, correct? No, I'm in Montana actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I ended up here and. Uh, I've been trying to get back ever since. <laughs> what What's in Montana that attracted you? Just a wide open ladies. area? Ladies? Um, actually, I ended up here. Uh, I was married at the time my second album came out. Uh, or didn't come out, rather. We, we were all uh, teed up to come out. We had a single on the Spider-Man soundtrack and a summer tour booked. And then Epic Records pretty much collapsed. Everyone got fired. And uh, I'd moved my wife up here at the time because she didn't want to be in L.A. when I went on tour. And um, then I didn't get many dollars of back end from <laughs> the non-release of my album. And I just ended up in Montana. I was totally broke. I was 30 years old. I didn't know how to do anything but make music. And uh, so I just uh, was in Montana. And then we had a kid, and that was it was a good place for him. So we just stayed here, and I learned how to sell music on the Internet. So, <laughs> so you, you had a, a little hiatus from music, and now you're back, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I take various breaks over time, you know. I really want to do it when I feel moved to do it, um, and and now I now I feel moved again. It's kind of amazing. I didn't know if I would get back into the groove again, but I'm back in the groove, so it's pretty fun. Well, we're glad you are. That music is coming out. Yeah. It's really great. Thank you. And Paul, you've got a, an upcoming concert. What September twenty second in Seattle? Yes. Yeah, I'm actually playing at a vineyard, uh, so it's perfect that I'm on with you guys. Let me take a guess. You're going to be at Rocky Pond. I am going to be at Rocky Pond. Speaking of Rocky Pond, I'm now going to have a drink of Rocky Pond. We we're ahead of you, unless you've already started. We're, we've just opened a bottle of the Stratostone. Yes, I have that as well. 
And it's a very nice wine. It's a blend of Syrah, Grenache, and Morved, uh, which is kind of a GSM mixed up, but it's very tasty. It is. It's really nice. It's great for an afternoon podcast. <laughs> is, is the new album out yet, or is this going to be kind of the launch on the 22nd? Uh, no, I launched it in uh, June, and uh, it's actually been out for my Kickstarter supporters for a while. Um, I did a Kickstarter mainly as a way of kind of putting myself on the hook, because uh, I really wanted to make this record by myself. I wanted to play all the instruments and do the engineering. And, uh, it's hard when you don't have collaborators, because then... Um, you don't answer to anybody. Nobody's uh, nagging at you when they've done their job and they're waiting for you to do your job. So I did the Kickstarter kind of as a way of, oh, these people have given me money and now I have to make this music for them. Yes. So that was very successful. That's uh, it launched a lot of people, Kickstarter. Is, uh, what a great concept. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I was, I was hoping to get like... 10,000 bucks and we ended up with 85 or something crazy. So That's remarkable. Uh, really. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Paul, talk about some of your work on uh, TV and movies. Yeah, well, um, you know, when when Epic, you know, collapsed, it was kind of part of a lot of the big um, labels going out of business. And uh, I had a friend, Lane Grossman, who did... Uh, it's pitches to TV and film, and um, she said, well, there's a lot of money to be made over here, and it was really kind of before a lot of artists caught on to all that. So we we had a big um, placement in The Shield at the time. It was actually the season six trailer for their show. They played um, this very cinematic cut with uh, my song, This Night, like they played it like 20 times a day for three months before season six debuted. Wow, so, um, that that was huge um, for visibility. And then yeah, we had songs on the Spider-Man soundtrack, um, and that was actually interesting. Back before we got dropped, we uh, um, they asked us to write a song for. Um, Aerosmith to be in the new Spider-Man film. Whoa. Uh, Columbia did. So we thought, okay, we can write a song for Aerosmith. <laughs> so we we sat down and we wrote, you know, uh, Andy, um, my guitar player, kind of had this riff and, and we put these cool drums with it and I, I wrote this kind of, uh, you know, uh, Aerosmithy type vocal, <laughs> and we put a demo together and submitted it, and Aerosmith didn't want it. Yeah. Um, uh, fortunately, Columbia didn't want it. They came back and they said Aerosmith's going to do like the Spider-Man theme from the show, which has got to be one of the worst pieces of music <laughs> ever written. Um, so, but we want you to be on the soundtrack. So we took that demo and we went to Florida and finished producing it. And um, yeah, so that was on the Spider-Man soundtrack. And it was supposed to be the third single, actually. Um, the Nickelback single that launched their career was the first. And then there was this 311 single that was so bad that they just closed up the shop and... <laughs> 
didn't make a third single, so thank you, 311. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, the whole thing is like a crapshoot. It's like. <laughs> so, Paul, are you, are you touring? Are you touring? What? Are you touring? Uh, no, I'm doing some shows just kind of around the release, um, but I'm doing them solo acoustic. And, you know, one of the things about moving to Montana is it helped me recognize that um, I love playing shows, but I really don't love touring. Like, after a week of being in a different city every single night, um, I I just I I'm just too much of a homebody I guess I, I I would I would rather stay home um, write songs and record and then uh, go play shows for people who are really uh, really want to hear me play you know um, I don't like to play in bars I don't like to open for people where I'm playing for you know a lot of people who haven't heard my songs so you know I've just kind of figured out what works for me and for some strange reason it works so I'm, I'm grateful to my fans for making that possible I, I know quite a few touring musicians and what they all of them have said is we don't get paid to perform we get paid to eat crappy food sleep in motels uh, drive a lot <laughs> that's what you get paid for yeah, yeah, and I, I, um, I mean, the great thing about the soundtrack work and um, the internet marketing um, is that it just kind of allowed me to say, okay, I don't need to get paid for that part. I can, I can find other ways to get my stuff out there, and um, somehow my fan base is incre incredibly patient and persistent and. Enduring, uh, so yeah. Like I said, it's it's really. Like, I wouldn't be making music if there weren't um, these people out there that are so committed to supporting me. So it's really great. On your songwriting, um, what what is your your inspiration? I know a lot of artists say you know they their inspiration is you know facts of life, what they've gone through. But I'm just kind of yeah. curious when you do uh, soundtracks and they say, well, we want a soundtrack for this movie or that movie. Yeah. How do you come up with the inspiration for doing a sound, you know, on a soundtrack? Yeah, well, a lot of times uh, people will take, um, you know, we'll just kind of send songs we've already written out and... Um, and then those songs will get shopped to people, and then sometimes they just happen to magically line up. Uh, but for me, I've been I've been fortunate enough to be successful at tailoring songs for a specific thing. Like for the for the Spider-Man song, you know, it's called "Learn to Crawl," so it's kind of like <laughs> we were imagining the scene where he just figures out that he's been bitten by a spider and can like you know, fly and stuff, and so the chorus is like, can you teach me how to fly, so, and then I had a song called This Night, which was, um, in, uh, it was actually written for a cop show, and it wasn't picked up for that cop show, 
but it was picked up for the shield and so that worked really well in the shield and then I've written for Pretty Little Liars you know they needed a a song for a scene where somebody says goodbye so I wrote a song called Say Goodbye <laughs> uh, pretty pretty brilliant there um, stretching your creative yeah, wings there. I mean sometimes it's harder but actually sometimes it's easier sometimes it's easier when someone gives you a little structure it's like a writing assignment in school um, it, it gives you a little direction to feel you know like okay what is this is a theme or this is a situation or a scene and how am I going to find a musical vibe that fits that scene or, or the lyrics that that scene calls for so I you know I think it's fun I don't have a lot of luck writing songs for other people I've done a lot of that as well in LA writing for young artists uh, young pop artists and I've never really liked that but I have liked writing for film and TV um, stuff so that's good What's the title of the new uh, release? The title of the new release is This Sweet Life. And it's slightly ironic because there's a lot of songs about death on the record. <laughs> um, but I guess the title, in a way, it came out, it came out of a song that uh, I wrote where I was kind of coming out of a long period of grieving and just feeling really stuck and um, almost like a, a statement of rebellion like you know it's a sweet life and it's not it's not worth giving up on so or, or rather it's, it's worth it to keep going so yeah I would say that's kind of the inspiration for the title and where can our listeners get it um, you can hear it everywhere. It's, it's Spotify, Apple Music. It's online at you know YouTube and everywhere there is music streaming. You can find it under my name, Paul Durham. Um, you know, th my band Black Lab gets a lot of streams, and my uh, solo record so far is not benefiting that much from uh, that that bleed uh, you know a lot of times when I release a record on you know with Black Lab it's like that that band has so much momentum that it gets uh, picked up so Paul Durham has fewer songs and fewer streams but um, that record This Sweet Life is uh, it's out there so Black Lab came from a, a kind of a combination of Black Sabbath and Stereo Lab right <laughs> Um, it, it, it kind of came more from uh, our label, like being really frustrated with the fact that we couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> and uh, so we came up with that name. We thought, oh, you know, it's both dark and scary and warm and fuzzy. And uh, I don't know. It's it, and and then of course we did. 10,000 radio interviews where they asked us where we got the name from and so we just kept coming up with ridiculous stories <laughs> about where we got the name from and they just got more and more ridiculous and somehow that one kind of stuck so uh, I don't know how factual it is but uh, you know 
that, sounds good. That, that's what's on the bio we were given. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the one that is stuck. That's the one our publishers <laughs> So are you a fan of Black Sabbath? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, Black Sabbath, just, I do a lot of skateboarding to Black Sabbath. <laughs> so. so what yeah. other, influ- uh, your musical style, what influences did you have growing up to, for you to come up with your musical style, to create your own musical style? Yeah, um... Well, Bob Dylan was a big influence for me just because uh, after three times, after dislocating my shoulder three times skateboarding, I needed something to do with myself to stay out of trouble, so I I started playing. I picked up a guitar, and uh, my friend taught me knocking on heaven's door. He's like, you know, you can play it with these four chords, or you can cheat and just play it with these three chords. And... um, so I just I learned that song and I got it so my hand could make the transition between the chords and then with those three chords I just started writing songs um so but he was really my inspiration for um I don't know saying something multi-dimensional in a in a very compact way um adding a lot of layers of, of narrative and image and emotion and so he's always kind of my foundational influence um but then i listened to a lot of punk rock as a kid and i just wanted to make a big noisy um alternative rock band so we did that and uh and and that worked pretty well for a while and then um I think with this record, I just wanted to bring it back to those roots of, of a, a kind of more acoustic-based roots music uh, approach to these songs, especially because these songs were more folky. There were a couple of them that were very blues, whereas alternate, whereas uh, you know, Black Lab has been a big guitar assault uh, alternative rock band. Yeah, when we're not making electronica, so <laughs> and neither big electric guitars nor electronica fit in a kind of more acoustic-based roots record, which is why I had to do it all myself because none of my collaborators want to make this kind of music. So I could kind of hear some um, uh, Dylan influence in your vocals. Yeah, yeah, and I I cover on this record, I cover Visions of Johanna, which has always been my favorite song of his. Oh. And uh, so I, I I do my take on that, um, but also I'm really influenced by um, P.J. Harvey, by Patti Smith, um, Tom Waits. Um, I've got a copy of Skip James up here on my wall to inspire me. I, as a blues artist, I've always really loved him, and uh, yeah, just trying to. I don't know, just trying to do more with less, I guess, instead of just assaulting people with dynamics. I'm trying to tell stories and paint pictures that are um, doing a lot of that work. Speaking of uh, visions of Johanna, Blonde on Blonde is one of my Desert Island discs, and I just uh, got the bootleg series that has a lot of the outtakes and alternatives from 
blonde on blonde and it's just simply mind-blowing to listen to how those songs progressed how they the genesis of them and then how they evolved into the finished product interesting that's that's super cool yeah i really love the uh i really love the acoustic uh just live version of you know i think it's on um one of the bootleg records. I can't remember which one I heard it on, but I but that's the version I've always listened to over and over, and I just love his phrasing on that. And um, uh, I took out I took out some of the verses. <laughs> yeah, that's a long song. It's, it's a long song, and and some of the verses I just feel like. Bob Dylan is the only guy that can sing this. He's the only guy that can sell these particular lyrics. Uh, I, I do not have that capability, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna chop it down to the pieces of the song that I feel like I can uh, perform well and authentically. So yeah, you you have to check it out. Let me know what you think. Yes, I sure will. You mentioned that you had children while you were in Montana. Uh, yeah. Are they musicians as well, or? No, no. My son is uh, an absolute computer geek. Uh, he he knows more about computers than anyone should, really. <laughs> so. Um, I tried to get him, you know, when he was young, I tried to, you know, I mean, he hung out with me in the studio all the time. And I tried to get him to play drums because I really could have used a drummer. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can always use a drummer, but it didn't stick. So, you know, kids, man, they just don't do what you tell them. Like, well, no one tells you that when you before you have yeah. kids. Like, okay, you're going to have these kids, and they don't do what you tell them. <laughs> yeah, there's no manual, is there? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Paul, we can't thank you enough for your time. It's really been such a pleasure talking with you. Well, great. Well, uh, thanks for having me, and um, thanks for promoting my show in September. Let us know when uh, you come out to Southern California. I'd love to be up with I you. I will. I definitely will. Yeah, I have a lot of people trying to get me out there, so I think this show in Seattle is going to be a good model where... You know, some some fans just get together and and book out a really beautiful room. I think this uh, I think this venue at uh, Rocky Pond is is going to be super nice for people to come listen to music in. So well, the, right. wa- the wine is sure tasty. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, it sure is. And we're out in beautiful Temecula wine country down here. So. Oh, nice. That's nice. We'll take yeah. you out wine tasting. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Paul, it's okay. been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, talk to you soon. Soak it in bleach, till it's white on the way. 
once you get that bit between your teeth Yeah It's gonna cost you everything you are Everything you'll ever be If you love her, she'll become your own You'll find that you're nearly grown You'll discover that you're finally known We did it once again, and we um, did it without mentioning our official produce sponsor. So our deep gratitude to Melissa's Produce and our friend Robert Schuler. And uh, you're going to be getting a produce box very shortly. This and week. You're going to make your coconut turmeric uh, immunity soup. Immunity coconut. I can't wait to taste soup. it. I got turmeric hair conditioner today at grocery. You're turning your head orange. <laughs> Maybe. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I've got uh, some blood oranges coming from Melissa. Oh, good. Melissa's.com. Yeah, they're not in yet, but Robert said they would have some in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to make my blood orange marmalade. Can't wait. I just made the grapefruit marmalade. Delicious, yes. And the orange marmalade. I got to taste test. Yes. Well, taste testers needed and appreciated. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Chords, Vines, and Dines, and we'll see you next Sunday. And we're going to end with one more Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. God's own drunk. <laughs> Priceless. All right. Have a good Sunday, everybody. Bye-bye. So we'll do this one tonight and uh, especially uh, mention the fact that it comes through from one of the greatest humors in America, Lord Richard Buckley, years ago, his own rendition of God's own drunk. I'll try to do my best.
I've explained all over the country before, I ain't no drinking man. Medicinal purposes only. No, I quit. I quit about 5.30 this morning in the Longhorn Bar here in Minneapolis. I swore I would never do it again. Please, God, if you just let my head start hurting, I'll never drink again. That'll be echoed around the land tomorrow morning. But I had promised my brother-in-law that I'd watch his still while he went into town to vote. And it was right up there on the mountain where the map said it would be. Friends, let me tell you one thing, it wasn't no ordinary still. No! Stood up on that mountain like a huge golden opal. God's little lanterns was twinkling on and off in heaven. God's big old yellow moon was shining on the cool, clear evening. Like I tried to explain before, but nobody believing me, I ain't no drinking man. But oh, hell, it was the 4th of July. And we couldn't get away with this anywhere else. And the temptation just got the best of me. And I took a slag. Yellow whiskey running down my throat tastes like honeydew vine water. I took another slash. Took another and another and another. Before I knew it, I down one whole jug of that shit and commenced to get hot flashes. Goose pimples is running up and down my body. And all of a sudden, this, this feeling comes over. like nothing I'd ever experienced before. It's like I was in love. In love for the first time. Sort of like Cliff and Nina on all my children. Hey, you don't watch that crap, do you? I don't either, but I know one thing. That Palmer Corbin is an asshole. He's gonna get his one day. In love for the first time with anything that moves. Animate, inanimate, cone head, no cone, it didn't matter. Like there's this great neon sign flashing on off of my brain saying, stuck in 17 miles. You see those all the way to Florida, you know. 
Then that sign reappeared and it said, Jimmy Buffett, you fool. There's a great day coming. Cause I Explain this a little further. I wouldn't eat crawl, slip slide, coral reaper, Fourth of July, commode hugging drunk. No, I was God's own drunk and a fearless man. And that's when I first. Saw the bear. He was a Kodiak looking fella, about 19 feet tall in his Nikes. He rambled up over the hill expecting me to do one of two things slip or fly. I didn't do either one. Hung him up. Start sniffing around my body trying to smell a little bit of fear, but ain't gonna smell it because I'm God's own drunk and a fearless man. It hung him up. Well, that's just when he ate my Varney sunglasses to show me he was a badass. And you know how much those things cost? It really ticked me off. So my Shown a lot redder than his did, and that hung him up. So I said, uh, Mr. Bear, sir, I love every hair on your 27 acre body. I know you got a lot of friends over there on the other side of the hill. There's old rare bear, tall bear, pretty bear, Kelly Jerry, really bear, smelly bear, smoky bear, pokey bear. I want you to go back over there tonight. You tell them all I'm feeling right. You tell them I'm God's own drunk and a fearless man. And I love each and every one of you like a brother and a sister. But if they give me any trouble tonight, what I told him. When he took two steps back, he didn't know what to say. Neither did I, but being Catholic and cautious, I approached him again. I said, now, Mr. Bear, you know, in the eyes of the Lord, we're both beasts when it comes right down to it. So I want you to be my buddy. Buddy Bear! So I took old Buddy Bear by his island-sized paw and laid him over to the still. He's just sniffing around that thing because he's smelling something good. I gave him one of them jugs of honeydew vine water, heat down and upright, like one of them bears in the circus sipping sensibly in the moonlight. Gave him another and another and another for a new heat down about eight of them and commenced to doing the bear dance. 
two steps, a snort, a fly, a turn, and a grunt. It was so complicated like that disco crap, it plummeted me. And we had worked ourselves into a tumultuous uproar. I was awful tired. Went over to the hillside, laid down. Slept for four hours and dreamt me some trembles dream. And when I woke up, there was God's yellow moon shining on the cool, clear evening. God's little lanterns was twinkling on and off in the heaven. And my buddy the bear, my buddy the bear was missing. You want to know something else, friends and neighbors? So was that still? Thank you, Animal Hunter. Thank you, Lord. Bye.